if we could just have somebody like mock it up in some sort of CAD software or something too, right? I just think a, a, a an artist rendering of some of these would be fantastic. The red feathered muskie, come on. We all want to see that. Definitely want to see a red feathered muskie. Oh, the Missouri River rivalry, right? Get some sort of sluice with a bunch of dirty water in it. I don't know. Like the lobster trap. It didn't exist last year and now it does. I mean, do you, re do you retire the gimmick at that point or do you keep going and try to like plant on the spot trophy franchises all over the place? Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman and Greg Thomas. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 291, season 15, episode 14, or your podcast for October 25th of 2021. I'm Pat Coleman. I'm the editor and publisher of D3Football.com. I'm Greg Thomas. I'm the author of Around the Nation. And you know, Pat, on this podcast, our contributions have to be complimentary. It's not about counting your segments. It's about making your segments count. And I need to do better and on the spot because I'm getting crushed. We'll get to that later. But thanks to Jeremy Urban, uh, head coach of Trinity, for this week's top of the show inspiration. I wonder if our categories have become tiresome also. I'm not even really sure about that. I, I certainly think so. We are, uh, of course, talking about week eight of the Division Three football season. We'll run down some of the big games that happened. We'll talk about what's coming up. We will talk about, you know, things that happened behind the scenes or off the beaten path or, you know, in places that you might not expect to look. We will talk with Jim Catanzaro. Jim Catanzaro from Lake Forest College. <laughs> Coach Cat. Jim Catanzaro. Jim, glad to have you with us. My pleasure. The head coach and athletic director at Lake Forest College in our tight five segment coming up. Uh, his team off to an unbeaten start, and they face a big showdown in the Midwest Conference coming up this weekend. But uh, this past week, obviously a great week for clarity in conference races. Yeah, no, who am I kidding? So we got some clarity in some places, right? And it got muddier in others. That's pretty much putting it lightly for what happened in the pack this weekend, where we end up with just a mess at the top of the standings. We do. Westminster went out to Washington and Jefferson, and they did the deed. They trailed 12-3 uh, to 3 at halftime, despite allowing just 51 yards of offense in the first half. But the Titans did score the next 20 points, and then they held on to defeat the Presidents 23-18. to 18. Last week in games to watch, I said the keys to victory for the Titans would be to cover Andrew Wolf. Wolf did catch two touchdown passes, but he only caught four passes in total. And then I said they needed to get a solid game from quarterback Cole Konitska. Konitska did his part with an efficient 26 for 35 game, 278 yards, two touchdowns, and most importantly, zero interceptions. Yeah, on the Wolf front, I mean, when we talked with Coach Sirianni a couple of weeks ago, one of his things was you know, we have to develop other guys, right? And in this case, there was just not a lot of offense in general, right? He caught four passes for 29 yards. He caught two touchdowns, so that looks great in that line of the box score. And obviously, the score is important, but they just did not do much. That's right. In the Titan defense, they frustrated W&J all afternoon. Uh, the Presidents had just 151 yards of offense for the whole game. Mike Sirianni actually went to the bullpen for the final two drives, calling on sophomore quarterback Colton Jones in relief of Justin Heacock. Uh, just to try and spark the president's offense and get them something there in the last two drives as they were down by 
uh, what was it, 23 to 12 at that point. Someone has to make the bullpen joke, right? The score of this game was five to three at one point. I don't know if it's uh, going to the bullpen or uh, looking for a pinch hitter, but uh, it did not get a little bit of spark, right? And, you know, got them to the point where there was a, you know, pass batted down in the end zone by Ian Barr at the end of the game that if uh, W&J had managed to come down with it, they would have somehow won that game with, I guess, maybe 180 yards of total offense in the final analysis. Yeah, interesting call there. They had time that they were on a fourth and 10 from the 30-ish yard line. They had time to, there were still 40 seconds left or so in the game. They had time to run a play, not to the end zone in that spot, but they they really just kind of chucked it up into a mass of people and Westminster batted that thing down. So if you're keeping track, the leaders of the pack. That's when I felt full, leader of the pack. Our Westminster, W&J, Grove City, Carnegie Mellon. So they're all tied at five and one with three weeks to play. A little bit later, we'll talk about some of those games that uh, each of those teams have coming up between now and the end of the regular season. And it's not just the head-to-head games among that group that uh, could be key ones at this point. Uh, looking at the West Coast, we obviously you had to, you had your eye on this game coming into the week, Greg. And you know, as the official Chapman beat guy for Z3Football.com, it certainly seems anyway. Um, <laughs> at least last year during that playoff run, right? I mean, you know, the Skyac team has a playoff run of multiple games. That's a legit run, uh, so that was helpful. But uh, you know, another uh, we kind of know right coming into the season generally that this is going to be a game that's going to be a big one in the Skyac. And uh, I was just interested to see, you know, what Redlands would be like this year in the Jim Good era rather than the Mike Maynard era. And I feel like we still haven't, we still haven't, uh, we still haven't really dealt with the fact that Mike Maynard was essentially shown the door after a successful quarter, some century of coaching. But, uh, you know, Jim Good, obviously an experienced head coach, at the division three level and it had been at Redlands for several years, but did not look, that team did not look good against Linfield. They looked a little better on Saturday. They did, uh, you know, Chapman, they tend to start fasting games and the Panthers, they wasted little time racing out to a 14 to zero lead at Redlands, the, you know, kind of knocked Redlands off balance there a little bit, but Redlands, they never flinched. They, it was close a couple of times. It felt like the game was teetering on getting away from them, but they, they didn't flinch. They battled back and they, uh, came back to win this game, uh, 28 to 24. We all know that uh, football is a game of inches and inches is really what saved Redlands on two key occasions. Trailing 14 to seven in the second quarter, Chapman, they had driven the field for the third time in their first four possessions when Jade Michaels intercepted a Reed Vettel pass at the goal line to end a scoring threat there that would have made the game 21 to seven. Chapman scoring on three of their first four possessions really would have, I think, set the tone for the rest of the game there. And then with about four minutes or with about five minutes left, I'm sorry, in the fourth quarter, facing a fourth and two at their own 35-yard line, trailing 24 to 21, Redlands got a stop on Chapman running back Tanner Mendoza, about three inches short of the line to gain. The rare measurement they used in Division Three anymore, you almost never see them bring out the sticks, but they did, and they were short about three inches. That stopped another Chapman drive in scoring position, and that defensive stop set up Redlands' game-winning drive executed masterfully by Nathan Martinez. We'll get back to him later. Twice on the drive, Martinez uh, just eluded Dylan Key's pursuit to deliver passes down the field, set up Noah Widgens for a short two-yard touchdown run to give Redlands the 28-24 lead. 
the Bulldogs uh, defense, they held on, they held Chapman on the final possession to preserve that win. Redlands, they stay undefeated in Skyac play. They have two games left. And thanks to a little help from Claremont Mud Scripts on Saturday night, Redlands just needs to win one of their remaining two games against either Whittier or Cal Lutheran to wrap up the Skyhawks automatic bid. And presumably get a road game in the first round of the playoffs because they're not an undefeated team. So, you know, if you're thinking about as a fan, do they go play Linfield again? That's not impossible. What the committee is, if it is ever trying to do anything, it's just trying to keep people who play in the same conference from meeting in the first round. There is no such provision for keeping teams that played non-conference games against each other from playing in the first round. Obviously, Redlands could also go to Texas, and we've talked about that quite a bit, right? What if, uh, you know, if Trinity continues goes on and finishes off and wins the SAA Harden Simmons perhaps makes the field those two teams play some but each other Redlands goes and plays Mary Harden Baylor again because that's happened and then you have to figure out who goes to Linfield in the first round but uh, those are all those are those are unfortunately because of geography distinct possibilities right they are and I you know if I'm if I'm guessing and looking looking ahead, if Mary Harden Baylor has a partner that's close, then probably Red probably Redlands up to Linfield. Um, maybe it also depends on if Harden Simmons gets in. If you wind up with an odd team somewhere, then maybe maybe you can do something weird and send Redlands to the Midwest somewhere. Um, but that all that sort of all depends on how many Texas teams you wind up. If it's, if it's just two, you're probably going to see Redlands at Linfield. If it's three, who knows? So big questions going forward for St. John's right now. Remember early in the season, we were talking about how we were looking forward to the showdown between Gustavus Adolphus and quarterback Michael Veldman and St. John's and quarterback Aaron Severson. Well, you know, of course, only one of those guys even started the game and then neither of them finished it on Saturday. Severson started for the Johnnies. He went 14 for 19, but he got hurt in the third quarter. He did not return and uh, he will not return. Scrambling on a third and 18 in Gusty's territory, Severson got sandwiched between two defenders. And when a teammate tried to help him up, he went right back down and was eventually carted off the field. Indications, a broken leg, a broken fibula, Severson not returning this season. So... The Giants replaced him with Chris Backus, who's been a pretty solid backup. He is a senior for them. He's gotten a lot of playing time, or he's gotten playing time in a lot of games behind first Jackson Erdman and now Severson. But this is a guy who's never thrown more than 10 passes in a game, and he didn't even do that on Saturday. The Giants scored 27 points with him in the final 20 minutes, primarily using good field position, Henry Trost running the ball, and then a pick six. It was 10-7. to seven. When Severson left, it was 37 to seven at, uh, at the end in the final analysis. But it's not like Backus came out and threw the ball all over the lot. And I think this is the question that you know you have going forward. First off, I think even St. John's in the presumed rematch against Bethel in the MIAC final, and then if they win that game or regardless go to the playoffs, what that looks like thereafter, because this is a big blow for that team. It is, and I you know. The St. John's defense has been really, really good this season, thankfully. And now how far they go into November and into December is probably going to depend on how good their defense is. Now, they still have really good offensive players. Uh, Henry Trost, Ravi Alston, they've got offensive weapons there. And if Chris Backus can find those guys, utilize those and grow a little bit in the offense. And, you know, certainly he's going to be asked to do more than he's been asked to do previously. But, you know, really... I think 
we're looking now at St. John's and their defense to see how far this team can go. And, you know, they're going to be up against it in a rematch with Bethel. I think Bethel scored nearly – did Bethel get 30 points? It was close to 30 points against them. Bethel got 25, 31-25. And then, you know, the the quality teams that St. John's is going to play in the playoffs, big task for the defense, but, hey, Johnny Magic, right? Anything can happen. <laughs> I'm not sure. Hey, Johnny Magic Wright is really a game plan, but I like your thinking. Um, so I, one of the guys that uh, we did not talk about who I really like and is an interesting guy to look at. You were talking about finding targets. Alex Larson is like this big six five tight end. He is, you know, one of those tight ends that looks like a tight end. I think about this. Um, I think it might have been might have been Pete Schmidt at Whitewater, uh, which is now like. 15 years ago or something like that. But he's the kind of guy running down the middle of the field. It's like, oh my God, that is definitely a tight end, right? He's He's got that tight end look. And, you know, these days, lots of tight ends are just receivers, right? They line up, they, they line up in the slot. They line up, you know, they line up wide. Uh, they may be called tight ends, but I'm not sure how much tight end they actually play. This guy is a is a is definitely a tight end type. He's a matchup issue. He's not crazy fast, but he's not, you know, he's He's got. It seems to have good hands. He seems to be able to catch the ball. That is a. Uh, that's a target and a guy we haven't really talked about. Yeah, and just one more. One more point on St. John's defense. Like coming into this game, they had they pitched three consecutive shutouts. They held the Davis Dolphins to just seven points. So this this is a top level defense that that Gary Fashing has, and certainly a playoff caliber defense. We'll be keeping an eye on that. They are seven and zero. Obviously, a lot of the hay is already in the barn. That's a thing, right? Did I just say that? I don't think I just... I can edit that out, right? That is a totally legitimate phrase. You use that correctly. If you are surprised by seeing an extra podcast in this feed, just let me remind you what that was about. And it is still relevant right now. I mean, you uh, it was dropped on Friday afternoon. Uh, Dave McHugh of D3Hoops.com and I talked about what's coming up in terms of regional rankings. They are not after this week. They are after week nine. Um, but... Not only are they not until after week nine, the first uh, look that we get at these regional rankings are alphabetical, which is the worst way to rank teams, if you ask me. We talk for, mostly Dave, for literally 41 minutes on that podcast. 41? 43. There's 40. That's a 43-minute podcast that could have been done, Greg, between you and me. If you and I had done it, we could have done it in about 25 and knocked it out the door. But, uh, you know. Now between you and me and, and a few thousand listeners. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, Dave is accustomed to doing those two-hour Hoopsville shows, and we are like trying to do the tight five and trying to fit it into one hour so that nobody can fast forward it because we really want to get the job done. So anyway, listen to that podcast, though, if you're really interested in the playoff uh, structure. And then coming up later, we will have a little bit more reaction to that as well. I just take this time to thank the people who support this show and support the websites and help make those things happen. There are a lot of people who help do that, but people who do it financially are super helpful to us. And those are people who go to Patreon and sign up to support us on an ongoing basis with a monthly donation of $3, $5, $20. Literally, there are multiple people who uh, donate $50 a month to help make this thing happen, which is super helpful because... It makes lots of things here on this website and on this podcast actually possible. It does. Those, those Patreon subscribers help us keep our scoreboard up to date and as live as possible. And as we, you know, we talked about 
pre-show, we talked about uh, week one of the week one of the tournament and the scoreboard being all very high priority games. And those Patreon subscribers help us get the help we need to keep all of those scores in week one of the of the tournament up to date as they as they happen. So thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. Tell your friends. Tell your other fans of your games let them know that they help they can help as well keep the keep the content that you guys love coming and so if you want to do that or you want to find out a little bit more about it you can go to patreon and patreon is a platform where you can support lots of people who create content start with us at patreon.com slash d3 sports that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n Tight five time, Jim Catanzaro, head coach at Lake Forest in the hot seat. Are, are we calling it a hot seat now? Uh, anyway, coach, congratulations. Unbeaten so far. Got Monmouth coming up this week. What's it looking like for you guys at Lake Forest? Uh, appreciate you having me on, Pat. It's great up here. We have been playing pretty good football on both sides of the ball. Our defense has been real stingy. Um, our offense has been explosive, and our special teams are playing good. So when you get all three phases working really well, um, you look like a really smart coach, and your your athletic director's happy with you. So it's a uh, it's a good thing. So right now we're we're doing pretty well. Uh, Jim is, is coach and athletic director at, at Lake Forest at the moment. Uh, special teams doing really well. Why does anybody ever punt to AJ Jackson? Uh, lately, they haven't been, which is why we had to throw him the ball more yesterday. He wasn't getting his touches, so getting him the ball a little bit more that way. Um, you know, I I wouldn't I definitely would not. Uh, would not punt to him, but you know, he's back there. And so your choice is punt it out of bounds, you know, try some creative kick that maybe isn't your normalcy and that can sometimes go haywire. And the other part is we got a guy who's a special teams regional all American and Danny Baker who blocks a lot of kicks. So yeah. if you take too much time, you might have it on the other end. That's a very good point. Um, I was going to ask you. So yeah, uh, Jackson six touchdown catches on Saturday versus Grinnell. Um, yeah, I was kind of wondering, was that just an idea to, was that your idea to get him the ball more? Obviously, he's been a receiver the whole time through, right? We just really know him as a return specialist, right? Yeah, I mean, he's been a receiver for us. He's, he led the conference in receptions his freshman year. He tied for the lead with uh, uh, Sam Stalling from St. Norbert, who was an All-American, and um, he's leading the, re- the conference now. But he actually, it's funny, he actually had eight touchdown catches, but two of them got called back, and that was only in the first half of the game. So he, he did not play after the first half, and um, but he took a couple of screens that went from, you know, catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage and went 60 yards. And he's just, he's that talented. And for us to not put the ball in his hands is, is a mistake by us, just like it would be for somebody else to put the ball in his hands. So we want to make sure we do that. And, um, you know, we, we wanted to work on a few things early in the game yesterday. And, uh, you know, by the second quarter, we were, we we're handing the ball off a lot. So it was get him out of the way in the first quarter, first half of the second quarter, and then uh, let a lot of other guys get a chance to play. Yeah, this past week, Grinnell, Grinnell's obviously improved from the team that couldn't finish the season a couple of years ago, but you guys took a big step up this week when you're facing uh, off against Monmouth. This is, you know, there's no longer a conference championship game, but these are, you know, two teams right now neck and neck in the conference. So what's it look like for you guys coming into the week? Yeah, Monmouth, and, uh, and I said this somewhere else, Monmouth is still the man in the conference until somebody beats them. And that's the thing that we have uh, in our task this week is to go out there. They've had a couple of different guys play quarterback for them, and they do different things. One's a running quarterback, one's a passing quarterback. And uh, Coach Braun's defense has always been one of the top in the country. I think they led the nation in scoring points per game a couple of times the last couple of years. And so we just need to, you know, make it a great trip down there to Monmouth in central Illinois and have our guys focused and ready and take advantage of any opportunities they give us. A lot of coach speak there, but that's it's the reality. 
<laughs> well, you know, any coach speak that someone uses in the podcast then gets pulled out by Greg Thomas to use in his intro. That's what I have learned. Um, Absolutely. Now, so you obviously you are no longer the chair of the national committee. I would have asked what's it like to have all that time back, but now you are also the athletic director. So tell us a little bit about what now it's like juggling those two things instead. Yeah, now I'm talking about, you know, the the floor at a volleyball game or where are we going to host uh, conference tournaments for soccer, scheduling on our two different fields. And, um, you know, it's different meetings, but they're, they're with people that I care about, people that I spend a lot of time with for over the last 15, 16 years. One of the best parts about Lake Forest has been the continuity of our coaches and all other sports, in fact, you know, facilities. And I, I think that that's made it a lot of fun. I get to be a part of their programs a little bit. I actually was brought in by the volleyball coach to give a pregame talk at one of their tournament games. And like, I really enjoyed getting a chance to spend more time with the athletes on our campus. And that was something while I was doing the national committee and other things I was kind of stepping away from yeah. and uh, get a chance to do that. Now is a lot of fun. Got about 55 seconds left. Tell me about anybody on the team other than AJ Jackson, who's the only person we ever talk about anymore. Alex Bentler, defensive end, um, who is a very phenomenal player, uh, junior out of Langley, Virginia. He's been doing some great things for us, leading our team in sacks right now. And then the other one would be Dante Esposito, who's currently leading the nation in interceptions with seven and has had two two interception games this year. So those are two guys that have um, done a lot of great things on the field and off. Virginia, I thought you got everybody from Arizona. Well, we try. But we every once in a while, we got to dip in the East Coast. <laughs> uh, if Keith were here, he would be telling us all about uh, those folks in uh, Langley. That is uh, D.C. suburbs. That's right in our old stomping ground, really. Absolutely. It's a great place. And he he's a phenomenal football player that just is a great leader. and has really made big strides, changed his body, lost 30 pounds and gained 15 and did it the right way. So COVID was actually really good for him. I mean, Greg, obviously Jim made no bones about the fact that anything he had to say about Monmouth was basically coach speak. And uh, I look forward to you uh, utilizing that as fodder in the future. But, let's, you know, let's look a little bit at that Lake Forest Monmouth game that's coming up this weekend. Yeah, he, you know, he said it. He said Monmouth is the man until somebody beats them, and Monmouth has won 40 consecutive Midwest Conference games. So, you know, it's a big, big task for Lake Forest this weekend. But as he said, they're going, they're going well on offense. They're going well on special teams. They're going well on defense. And if Lake Forest is going to do it, why not this week? And they're going to have probably the best player on the field, AJ Jackson, who they're figuring out how to get him touches. If you're not going to kick it to him. They'll throw it to him. That's fine too. Um, it should be should be a good game and feels like maybe a de facto Midwest Conference Championship game, even though they don't have a championship game anymore. Lake Forest still has Chicago to go, but this might be the the one that decides it. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls. Game balls. Game balls. It's time for Game Balls, and my Game Ball is going to safety Kyle Koblinger of UW-Whitewater. So on his bio on the Warhawks website, he says he came to Whitewater because he likes to win. And uh, he had a significant hand in making that happen on Saturday as he picked off two passes and recovered a fumble in UWW's come-from-behind 34-28 to win at River Falls. So as COVID freshman... He intercepted Cole Hendrickson at the Warhawk three-yard line late in the second quarter. That kept the Warhawks within a touchdown in the final minute of the first half. Then he broke up a fourth and ten pass in the third quarter after the Warhawks had regained the lead. You know, that's basically a takeaway in and of itself, right? In fact, doing the smart thing, knocking it down, not trying to pick it off. And then he intercepted his second pass on the first play from scrimmage after the Falcons got the ball back with a buck 51 left down six. 
So he also recovered a fumble on the kickoff after Whitewater's go-ahead field goal, giving Whitewater the ball at the Falcon 14 and setting them up for another field goal to give the team some breathing room. Big day for this young man, and I will add to it by giving him my game ball. Absolutely, and for my game ball, I'm going back out to Redlands to give my game ball to Redlands quarterback Nathan Martinez. We've known Martinez to be a running threat, but Saturday night against Chapman, he controlled the game with his arm. Martinez completed 23 of 33 passes for 357 yards and one touchdown, which aren't the gaudy kinds of numbers we usually see in this segment, but Martinez played mistake-free football on a night where anything less would have led to a different outcome for the Bulldogs. With the win, Martinez has led his team to the top of the Skyax standings, and they are one win away from a return to the postseason. Venturing a little further afield through the Off the Beaten Path highlight, we are headed to Steinbrenner Stadium, which is named for that Steinbrenner's dad and is in Boston? Okay, well, Cambridge, technically. Anyway, that's where MIT came back from 16 down in the fourth quarter, finishing the game with 27 unanswered points to defeat Norwich 48-37 to on Saturday. The cadets were in front 37-21 when the engineers responded with a 53-yard touchdown drive and a two-point conversion to cut that lead in half. Then MIT's defense got a third down sack. Norwich's punt went just 24 yards, setting the engineers up with really good field position just 39 yards away from the end zone. So MIT added another six cutting that lead to 37-35. Norwich fumbled on its next play from scrimmage, and MIT was on the 18, scored pretty quickly, took a four-point lead, and then after Norwich went four and out, MIT prime field position once more and took advantage to put the game out of reach. So that is four touchdowns in less than 10 minutes of clock or in about two and a half sentences, and MIT is now 3-3. Three and three. And I can't have anything nice. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that later. My off-the-beaten-path highlight, I'm going to Hiram, Ohio, where the Oberlin Yeomans snapped a lengthy losing streak by defeating Hiram 31-28. Oberlin scored the first 16 points of this game before Hiram stormed back to take a 21-16 lead in the third quarter. That set the stage for a seesaw fourth quarter, which saw the lead change three times, the last of which happened with 60 sec 67 seconds left when Oberlin quarterback Chris Allen Jr. found Brian Colarusso in the back of the end zone for a nine-yard touchdown. Allen Jr. had a monster day throwing for 247 yards and two scores while rushing for 106 yards and another touchdown. The win snaps an 11-game losing streak for the Yeoman dating back to a 7-0 win also over Hiram on October 19, 2019. Surprise! My most surprising result from Saturday comes from the Ohio Athletic Conference where Capital got its first conference win of the season in let's say unexpected fashion, winning at Ohio Northern by a 35-28 score. This is one of those games that uh, Keith would have loved, right? The team in the lead gets the ball back and then never lets it go. Comets pick up three first downs, and they run out the final 431 of the clock. So, obviously, that's a pretty good bounce back for a team who uh, was mentioned last week in this podcast, only because they couldn't even manage to pick up a first down against Mount Union. So, Ben Everson threw for a career-high 351 yards and four touchdowns, which was more than 200 yards above his previous best. Hey, before we get before we move forward to, I just have a correction from last week, right? It was uh, rather than Worcester who didn't get the didn't get a first down against Case Western. It was the other way around. Somebody in the Bear Brothers Trophy game did not get a first down in 1985. That's right. My most surprising result also happened in Ohio where Defiance defeated HCAC leader Mount St. Joseph by a score of 14 to 13. The Yellow Jackets have had an interesting 2021 to say the least. Uh, they had a coaching change in the middle of fall camp. And aside from a seven point loss to Alfred State, 
Defiance has been on the wrong end of lopsided scores all season. As I was told in quick hits this week, nothing is pro forma in college football. Any given Saturday, Adam, the Yellow Jackets didn't get a ton of offense in this game, but they made the offense they did get count. In the third quarter, Gashawn Moody broke loose for a 62-yard run that set up a two-yard touchdown run also by Moody. That score put Defiance ahead 14-13, and the Yellow Jacket defense held Mount St. Joseph scoreless over the final 19 minutes of the contest to secure the victory and throw the top of the HCAC into a bit of chaos. That's not my stat. Also, not going to be my stat. Not my stat. That may be the most incredible stat. Lots of things are not my stat, but this is my stat of the week. It comes from the end, Jack. Where Rowan won its first game on Saturday, defeating William Patterson 25-10. to So this is the latest date on the calendar where the Profs have picked up their first win of the season since 1968, when then Glassboro State beat Frostburg 13-9 to pick up win number one. Even in uh, 1971, that game was like November 2nd or something like that. Even in 1971, when the Profs went 2-6 and six, and they didn't even play a game until September 24th, they still beat Trenton State now their arch-rival TCNJ uh, on an, in an October 2nd game. The 2021 profs, just 1-5. and five. That's some impressive research. For my stat of the week, I'm going back to Westminster's win over Washington and Jefferson. Westminster trailed in this game 12-3 to at halftime, and they came back to win. Overcoming a nine-point deficit is not all that remarkable and is not my stat until you add this bit of context. WJ head coach Mike Siriani entered Saturday's game with a record of 129-3 when leading at the half at WJ. The Titans just pulled something off that WJ has avoided in 98% of similar opportunities, and that is my stat of the week. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. Now is the time of the podcast where we go to Twitter. We know you have questions. This is how it works. We put a thing on Twitter. You put things back at us. We pick one of them. We talk about it on the podcast and that sort of thing. And this one comes from fan of the podcast. I believe Patreon subscriber to the website. Also Don Wadowitz, who is at Don Wadowitz, W-A-D-E-W-I-T-Z. I spell these things out in case you think I'm making these tweets up. You can go and check them yourselves. Uh, Don is a uh, play-by-play guy for UW-Whitewater Radio, if I remember correctly. So who do you have, he asks, who do you have making the Isthmus Bowl? Barring an upset in the CCIW, it looks like Wash U is probably the program there. The YX still seems pretty wide open with Stout, River Falls, and Oshkosh being the front runner. Well, first off, I love the uh, Isthmus Bowl people, and that's great. But, Greg, what is the actual name of this game supposed to be? That is the Butterburger Bowl. That's right, because the Isthmus Bowl is sponsored by Culver's, which is a noted... It's like the in and out of the Midwest... It's the Whataburger of the Midwest. It is the the regional burger chain that everybody thinks is great. Well, it's an interesting question here because we're talking about, you know, it'd be asking us uh, similarly who's going to make the ECAC Jim Lyall Bowl or whatever. These are, this is a game between the top team in the CCIW and the top team in the WIAC that doesn't make the playoffs. And on the WIAC side, We have no idea what's going to happen the rest of the way. I mean, uh, you know, lacrosse might not make the playoffs uh, if they uh, if even if they do only lose to Whitewater, uh, they might be in contention for this in the CCIW. I mean, Wheaton's got to not be an automatic at large. I mean, nobody is an automatic at large pick when there's only five of them. But, you know, Wheaton's resume is going to be kind of thin. 
for making at large. They might be in this game. Possibly. Um, you know, Wheaton's Wheaton's strength of schedule is probably not going to look great. They're out. Their one out of conference game was against Northwestern Minnesota and plugging into the UMAC ecosystem for the strength of schedule mass math is, is not great. The CCIW can usually count on having a third regionally ranked team. And I'm not sure that we're going to get there this year. Um, you know, Wash U looks like the best chance for a third CCIW team to get ranked, but I don't know if that's going to happen. There's some, there's some stuff there that may prevent Wash U from getting into that uh, regional ranking, which is not going to be 10. We'll hear more about that later also. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe Wash U, maybe Wheaton. Um, third, second or third place, third place in the WIAC, all the way up for grabs. I would lean, I would still lean Oshkosh, but we've seen River Falls competitive with Whitewater, Stout competitive with Lacrosse. I mean, Plattville is still out there playing well. Um, yeah, the the middle of the WIAC is is wide open, and your guess is as good as mine. Just to look at the Wheaton resume for a second, for a second, uh, they have a five sixty one strength of schedule. That is really good. If you ended the season at nine and one with a five sixty one strength of schedule, you'd likely get into the playoffs. However, this these strength of schedule calculations, and you can see them on the D three football website. If you go to uh, the News menu, it's the bottom uh, link on the news menu that says strength of schedule, oddly enough. So this only counts the games that have already been played. The remaining opponents for Wheaton this season are Elmhurst, Illinois Wesleyan, and Milliken. And these teams are a combined 5-16 and 16 right now. So, you know, that strength of schedule is only going to go down. You know, it is certainly obviously a chance that Northwestern right now, which really struggled this year and is 2-5, and five, but they finish with Morris, Crown, and Martin Luther. I would guess that that team probably finishes four and six, five and five is maybe a bit of a stretch, but it's not impossible. Uh, but even so, you know, that is not a team that's going to help you uh, burnish a playoff resume, shall we say? Yeah. And, you know, I think Wheaton is Wheaton is probably going to sweat out a, at least a few rounds of, uh, of selection on selection Sunday. I, I still feel like Wheaton probably leans in, but, their resume will not be the first one that goes in. It'll be the first one that goes in. I mean, obviously, we don't know who all the Pool C candidates are, but, uh, huh. You know, right now, if if Ithaca loses one of their final two Liberty League games and they were to beat Cortland, they would be the slam dunk first choice, I think. I'm thinking about Harden-Simmons also. Harden-Simmons on the season... Their strength of schedule is 542. If you look at who they're going to play between now and the end of time, you've still got that game against Howard Payne, which um, you know now, now no longer really has a bearing on the big question, which is Howard Payne's top 25 candidacy, but it will have a big impact on uh, either of these teams' strength of schedule. And then um, that they have Austin and Texas Lutheran down the stretch, and those teams are a combined 3-10, and 10, so it's like uh, 9 and 11 addition to their strength of schedule which you know probably means somewhere around the status quo they probably stay somewhere in that 540 range hard hard simmons has the wayland baptist game non-division three that's kind of a you know it lives in the secondary criteria but we don't really know what to do with it um 
Yeah, Harden Simmons always a tough one to figure out at at selection time. Uh, a one last team out of the Centennial might be a possibility. It's a little too soon to figure out who that might be because we still have uh, Muhlenberg to play Susquehanna. Susquehanna still has to play both Johns Hopkins and Muhlenberg. I mean, and those are the uh, those are the three major contenders, obviously, at the top of that conference. That'll be interesting, right? Um, you know, depending on what happens in the MIAC championship game, if it is, you know, Bethel then beats St. John's, which seems a lot more possible than it did 48 hours ago, right? Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's not out of the realm of possibility. And then, you know... Bal- La- Baldwin-Wallace. Baldwin-Wallace, lacrosse. We've, we've just named, I think, have we just named six candidates for those five spots? Or just At five? At least... Um... Whitworth, I think maybe they they've got a chance to get home with one loss just to Linfield. So, yep, they're mathematically they're mathematically not eliminated. Thank you, Don, for the question, and uh, you know we look forward to watching the Isthmus Bowl final result cross our screen. As Greg noted, we are pedal to the metal, shall we say, for those four or five hours that uh, those first round uh, playoff games are going on. I, we don't really have a lot of attention that we can pay to Max Centennial Bowl games, Isthmus Bowl, or ECAC Bowl games. I know. You feel like they could play those games not on noon on Saturday of the first week. You think you could play our playoff games not all at noon on Saturday either, right? <laughs> but that's a smart idea. Also true. I mean, as much as I don't like the idea that the men's basketball committee brought to uh, the, the nation about, um, you know, making this ranking alphabetical. The thing that they did do is they staggered their tip off times. So like the basketball first round now games tip off anywhere from like two o'clock to eight o'clock where they all used to be five thirty seven thirty and, and then seven o'clock on Saturday. And that was just not good for the, not good for the product. You got to showcase your good product. And that was, you know, that is something that we still could do in football, uh, I think, without a, a whole, whole lot of issue. One of the reasons why this is so a sidetrack off a sidetrack now, but one of the reasons why all of these games were basically uh, predestined to start at noon was because for a long time, you know, not very many schools had lights. And that's not really an issue anymore. Obviously, weather is an issue, right? You don't want to be starting a game necessarily at four o'clock or at seven o'clock. Definitely not at seven o'clock because there's logistical issues getting teams out of there. But you know, you don't want it to be played in thirty-one degrees when it could be played at forty-two degrees or something like that, right? Let teams start at twelve, one, one thirty-two. You know, something like that. Yeah, stagger it a little bit. We don't need twelve games that start at noon, and then three games that start at one, and then the West Coast special. And now it's time for games to watch. And I'm going to lead this off with uh, what we were discussing earlier, the remaining round-robin games to help decide who is the leader of the pack. I think I used the drop already, so I'm not going to use it here a second time. But we enter week nine with four teams tied for first. As mentioned before, that's Grove City, W&J, Carnegie Mellon, and Westminster. So some of the games between the teams in this group have already been played. In fact, almost all of them have. But we have one this week, and then we've got uh, one next week as well. So W&J... Fresh off of that defeat on Saturday, goes up the road to Grove City, and then next week the Presidents play at Carnegie Mellon. Josh East and the Wolverines offense uh, for Grove City, they're clicking along, averaging 38 points a game, the only loss coming 33-32 to Westminster back on September 25th. In that game, the Titans kept Nico Flatty in check, 
holding him to 66 yards on 22 carries. And East has come a long way since he made his debut as a freshman and threw four picks at W&J back in 2018. Where the president struggled on Saturday was mentioned earlier, obviously, and although Andrew Wolf caught those two touchdown passes, air attack was pretty anemic. Those two guys combined for 20 for 35, passing for 155 yards. That's, that's not great. Uh, you add 19 yards rushing and, well... Right. Yeah. You still have to wonder why W&J was in the game at all. Right. Helped by their special teams where uh, Justin Huss set up a field goal with an 84 yard kickoff return. And then there was a blocked punt in the end zone for a safety. Defense got a takeaway inside the Westminster 20. Uh, Anyway, keep an eye on this game. But then keep in mind, we won't know all we need to know for another week at least. And then in addition to those games I just mentioned... Grove City and Carnegie Mellon each have to play Case Western Reserve. And uh, Drew Saxton, the quarterback for uh, the Case Western Reserve Spartans, can you know do all sorts of dangerous things to pretty good teams. And then Westminster has to brush up on its assignment football and they uh, when they play Geneva and the triple option in the finale. Indeed. And Geneva, they nearly got Case Western last week. And they... And almost got W and J too. Also got almost almost got W and J too. So Geneva playing pretty well this season. Um, for me, I'm going to cheat a little bit here also and make this games to watch. We've teased the Liberty League closing stretch before on this podcast, and we're in the end game now. Hobart finishes. Uh, I'm sorry, Hobart visits number 12 Union and number 15 Ithaca visits RPI this week. Union has cruised along with all of their most challenging games in the last three weeks. They're going to play Hobart, Ithaca, and RPI to finish. So this week is really the first time that we're going to get to see Union tested against regionally rankable competition. Ithaca, they've been tested this season, but they still finish with teams whose records are a combined 20-1 and this season. Pretty much anything is still in play in the Liberty League among these four teams, but this weekend's games are going to whittle down the possibilities for Pool A and Pool C scenarios into something that we can discuss with a little more clarity next week. I'm just super happy that you said among rather than between four teams. That's one of my pet peeves, so thank you for that. That sound you hear in the background, that is a roulette wheel. It has 113 spaces on it. We're waiting for the ball to drop to pick our random game of this week, and it drops in number 20. 20 is St. John Fisher at Hartwick. St. John Fisher at Hartwick. Bit of a struggle this season for Hartwick, right? Uh, Hartwick didn't get to play in the spring. They were 1-9 in 2019. They're 1-5 and five right now with their only win against Alvernia. And, you know, as you recall, Alvernia has only been a football program for a grand total of 28 games. So uh, it has been a bit of an issue for them. Hartwick on the season, 1-5. They've been outscored 157 to 78. St. John Fisher, three and four. They've been outscored 199 to 157. But at least as you look at uh, St. John Fisher, you know, I mean, that's three wins, right? They beat Mooresville State, for example. That's a conference win. They uh, beat Buff State. They beat Framingham State. It's a, This is not like, I think, one of the classic rivalries, right, in this, in this league. This is uh, like if you were St. John Fisher is your rival in the league, maybe someone like Alfred, and if you're Hartwick, I think you're Hart- if you're Hartwick, your big rival is Utica, I believe. I think it sounds about right. Here's the thing about this game, is that this is a game between, uh, you've got conference record one and two, St. John Fisher against Hartwick 0-4. This is, you know, this is, a, this is definitely an undercard match in the Empire 8 at this point. Um, this game is not going to have 
impact on the standings or who goes to the playoffs. So pride is on the line here. So when we're talking about a rivalry trophy for this game, as much as I would like to try to draw some connection between like the garbage plate, right? Just that's your, uh, that's your regional cuisine of Rochester, New York. And then this cold cheese pizza thing that they is that they serve in Anianta, which you should go look up and we're not going to spend any time talking about it. The only thing that anybody really is going to remember Hartwick and St. John Fisher for outside of the conference right now is that fight at the end of the 2015 game, right? Um, St. John Fisher quarterback taking a knee Hartwick's players come uh, over the line and, uh, and uh, you know, knock him down twice in the final 30 seconds. So in the spirit of trying to put that behind us or them, I think that, you know, we need to, create some sort of sportsmanship trophy for this game, right? And this is the sort of thing where you get the campuses to collect like canned goods or something, right? Or how many things can you donate to your local food shelf? How many books can you read to elementary school students, right? So all we need is a name for this thing, like the Fishwick Friends Fest game. I'll take it. <laughs> they have to by default. The Fishwick Friends they, Fest game. The Fishwick is delicious with cold mozzarella cheese. Yes, but you can only get it on Fridays at McDonald's. All right, that is our uh, random game. If you think what we just said was random, you need to hear the seven minutes that we cut out <laughs> trying to figure out how to connect your garbage plate. And your cold cheese pizza. None of these, obviously, is uh, none of these ideas is anywhere near as good as the lobster trap. That is for sure. And it is time for on the spot. On the spot this week, Greg. I am asking you to pick the Wesleyans. Da 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 da. da. You've got four games featuring Wesleyans. You got your Amherst at Wesleyan. You got your North Carolina Wesleyan at Huntington. You got your Simpson at your Nebraska Wesleyan, and then oh, the other one that kicks off at two o'clock Eastern. You've got North Park at Illinois Wesleyan. I feel like these games get harder, actually, uh, in chronological order. So, give me your Amherst Wesleyan pick. All right. So, yes, indeed, Wesleyan. Uh, they will remain undefeated, winning at home against Amherst. Uh, Huntington. They they're the man in the USA South, and they're gonna they're gonna cruise at home against North Carolina Wesleyan um, Simpson versus Nebraska Wesleyan. Again, I, man, Simpson's had a tough time this season. I'm going to take Nebraska Wesleyan in that game. Probably not going to score 84 points though. Probably not. Um, but Simpson has given up 84 points twice. And now, wow. North park at Illinois Wesleyan North park. The Vikings are red hot. Uh, Illinois Wesleyan not having the greatest of seasons. The CCIW had a bunch of night games, and they were locked in a window between all of the afternoon kickoffs and the late West Coast kickoffs. And so I did get to watch a whole bunch of North Central and Wheaton, which was nice, and they were still very good teams. Um, I'm I'm really into the North Park story and winning two in a row, but I, I do think that Illinois Wesleyan probably just a little more advanced defensively than what North Park has seen in the last couple of weeks. And so 
Illinois Wesleyan, maybe maybe a little bit of a shootout with North Park, but I will take Illinois Wesleyan to win that game. So almost a clean sweep for the Wesleyans. I did pick Huntington. I think I think you're right though. Uh, North Park going down to Bloomington. It's tough. It when Illinois Wesleyan is good, it's really tough to win in Bloomington. Illinois Wesleyan, as you mentioned, is or maybe I'm just going to say it, is not good right now. But North Park is still a team that uh, you know may struggle to go on the road and do that. So um, it would that would be a bonus win for North Park, I think, to go to, to get to three in a row, three conference wins. It would. And could you even could you even imagine the the hand wringing in Bloomington if if they were to dropped North Park this weekend. I'm going to ponder that, and you're going to put me on the spot. I am. So, why on the spot for you, Pat? I'm going to do a couple of over and unders here with Merchant Marine Merchant Marine at Springfield. Two hours and 17 minutes. Over, oh, no. Over, <laughs> over and under the number of passes in the game total, 9.5. Over. Um, I think Merchant Marine will have 11 or so passes in the game, and Springfield will have zero to one. There you go. Very specific. And then I I am going to go time of game. My over-under time of game, two hours, 23 minutes. I'll probably go... I'll probably go over. I'm expecting maybe a high-scoring game, and kickoffs always slow that thing down. When I said 217, that was like the joke. I thought that was like the shortest you could possibly do. Um I feel like I'm going to go over 223. Fair enough. Now, what is going to be interesting about this is that I'm not seeing a lot of box scores that tell me the time of game, so I'm going to have to pay attention to this very specifically on on Saturday. Well, you know what you can do? Here's the thing, right? I believe that Springfield uses the uh uses the Presto stat package to do its box scores and to update its stats. So you can, we can in the back end, just go look in the game log and see when the game was declared final. And that is usually what I, that's usually what I do, frankly, for most games. Very nice. I remember back in the day, like there was always a blip in the box score time of game. Yeah. Two hours and 47 minutes. The new stats software uh, will actually adjust the game time to the time the game actually started so if you're scheduled for 12 o'clock but you start at 1202 then the box score is going to say at the top 1202 p.m which i find to be fascinating and a little bizarre i have noticed that as well we'll look forward to that game and of course also a key game for the new mac checking out how things went last week in spot check last week i asked greg in a game called i test to pick a team which he had never watched play in person or online to win a game, and he picked Norwich to beat MIT. So if you were paying attention earlier in the podcast, you already know how this turned out, but let's uh, let's check with our judges. All right, round two of this game, uh, Greg had to pick a team he had seen in person multiple times to win a game, and Greg picked Redlands over Chapman. That one? Okay, split for Greg. How did I do? Whoa! Last week, I asked Pat to pick games as if he had to type them on his faltering keyboard where G's and H's may or may not show up. Pat picked Untenden to defeat Reensboro and the Ox obliged with a comfortable 42-3 win. Pat also correctly picked Osber to beat Amlin. Osber won this game 38-30 and retained possession of the Ammer. I am still working with that keyboard, by the way, but the new laptop should be here, I believe, by Saturday, I hope. I am really tired of not being able to consistently type those two very important letters. It's really funny. I definitely have thoughts about that, for sure. 
So congrats, though, to North Park. We mentioned that, uh, that uh, winning streak thanks to a big 52-3 win against Elmhurst. This note, courtesy of Greg Sager, D3Boards.com Hall of Famer. This is North Park's biggest margin of victory. Every thought of yours is a friend of mine. In a CCIW game since the Vikings beat Elmhurst by a score of 44 to nothing back in 1970. Colin Schutz bounced back this week with a 29 of 37 passing game, totaling 370 yards and three touchdowns in Platteville's 45 to 21 win over Stevens Point. Platteville's 2021 schedule was ridiculously front-loaded, and with games left against River Falls, Eau Claire, and Stout, Platteville could well end with a decent little winning streak, and Schutz is going to be one of the league's top performers when all is said and done. Nice recovery for him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John Carroll on Saturday, they managed just 12 first downs and 240 yards of total offense, but they got past Marietta 19 to 10. That's because they got uh, points on two field goals by Grant Gagne, including a 47-yarder in the fourth quarter. They also got a touchdown and a kickoff return and a pick six. It's not that it was a great day for Gagne. He missed from 46. He had a 31-yarder blocked, but John Carroll got the W without the benefit of an offensive touchdown. And it is bid-clinching season. We could have our first official 2021 football championship participants as early as this Saturday. Merchant Marine can clinch the new MAC bid with a win at Springfield. Cortland, they can clinch a bid with the defeat of Alfred as well. By the way, Alfred, who thought they were going to be playing meaningful Empire 8 games a month ago? Um, but here they are. Alfred's 3-0. They got, they're, they're in it. Getting those first tickets to the show punched is always an exciting mile marker to hit during the season. And the return of the tournament, very close. So I was watching that game between Merchant Marine and Catholic. Teams are going back and forth. Uh, they're going back and forth all the way through the first half. Uh, we get into the third quarter. Catholic blocks a punt. They get the ball at the 12-yard line. They've been down by seven. Uh, there have actually been a couple of defensive stops for, you know, back back to back for the first time this game. And uh, Madden Lowe is the quarterback. Madden Lowe had, like, hit... 12 of his first 13 passes, like 25 of his first 31. He was just finding guys all over the place. On this particular play, first and 10 from the 12-yard line, second and 10 from the 12-yard line, he ends up running the ball up the middle. He gets hit. He kind of tries to vault over the defender, does like that John Elway thing from whatever playoff game that was when I think John Elway was, you know, 38 years old, which is now like the new 46, I believe. Um, anyway, he fumbles the ball. Madden Lowe does in midair. Uh, Merchant Marine recovers it for a touchback. They come back and they, uh, you know, they drive it all the way down for a uh, long field goal. They go up ten. Uh, then Lowe gets intercepted on the next drive, and then Merchant Marine just drains seven and a half minutes off the clock for an 80-yard drive. It goes 44-27, and that's basically all she wrote at that point. It was an interesting, entertaining, fun game to watch up until that point and it was fun for you know half of the audience after that point but just this really contrast in styles like catholic could not stop anybody in that triple option also catholic could not run the ball at all however like i said Lowe was just finding his receivers all over the place like you know for you know 15 20 yards at a chunk just you know a, a bullet down the middle of the field kind of thing uh and of course you know uh merchant marine does what Merchant Marine does, which is to say that, uh, you know, Ian Blankenship threw 6-9 for 99 yards passing and two touchdowns, including a big 40-yard touchdown pass 
early in the game. Towson Smith got him on the board. But, uh, you know, it was just this interesting contrast in styles and a lot of fun to watch. And one of those noon games, like you were talking about earlier, that may or may not actually be in this podcast, uh, that you watch the noon games and then 1 o'clock happens and then there's no way for me to ever get back to it. That, that play... That play with Madden Lowe and the ball sort of popping out on him right before the goal line, that was really the turning point. And uh, they were going in, going to tie the game there. You were going to have a back-and-forth shootout the rest of the game. That They don't score there, like you said. Merchant Marine goes down, they get a field goal, they go up 10, and Catholic never, never really recovered after that play. And like I mentioned earlier, we have a full bonus podcast on this, but we also had a guest this week who knew a little bit about regional rankings. So we're bringing back in Jim Catanzaro to talk about the fact that the first regional ranking will now be alphabetical. I, I can kind of understand why they're doing it with the, you know creating the regional rankings that weren't previously published and knowing who a regionally ranked opponent is. Um, but I think it can create a lot of confusion when all of a sudden there's a much bigger jumble that second week. And, you don't know where somebody is. I mean, if you do the math and you look at the numbers, you can probably play it out. Um, so long as you know who, you know, the first three teams that aren't appearing on the, the list are, because they might be on the list the next week. And does that change who's regionally ranked and do they expand it? I also think the bigger challenge is going to be that they're not doing a, a tight 10 unless they've changed their mind. It's percentages based on each region. And so one might have seven, one might have nine. And um, that could really play havoc with some of these rankings as they're trying to do that. And uh, so hopefully they've got a plan. I'm glad I don't have to deal with that headache. So let them let them do that. Tight 10. Is is Cat producing the show now? I think like, you know, at some point, Coach Cat might just be an AD or might be an administrator, maybe even outside of athletics one day. And I did have a preliminary conversation with him about co-hosting the podcast uh, in the event that Keith retired. Then Keith retired earlier than I expected. And so... I mean, I apologize. The thing that we need that you don't bring to this podcast is X's and O's and hip hop. And I don't bring those things either. So I can brush up on my hip hop. Well, let's go to Coach Cat for a little more hip hop uh, knowledge. He's going to drop on us right now. No, seriously, I have that clip. Oh, man. Hip hop knowledge. Well, we, we had an interesting discussion in the weight room the other day with some of my players. And we kind of went through the, uh, the two or more hit wonders of the 90s hip hop. And I am forgetting now that, you know, in... It's 2021, so something from the 90s is 25-plus years old, and none of these guys were alive. So as we started to hit them with things like Naughty by Nature and pretty easy for a guy like you and me to know that or Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock, like these guys had nothing. And if it wasn't somebody who actually released something, so we had a Big Daddy Kane hour to get some of that 80s hip-hop so they could get some of that during the warm-up. And um, I think they were actually feeling – I think a couple of them actually went maybe like looked it up on YouTube or Spotify and – Maybe we'll have some uh, some future conversations going on about that. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 291, released on October 25th of 2021. Thanks for listening, and keep an eye out for our continuing coverage throughout the season. You can support production of this podcast and the entire D3Sports.com family of websites by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can still help us out. Tell a friend, tell a classmate, tell a fellow alumnus about the show, you know, Share it on your social media pages, on your Twitter, you know, the Twitter that you use to complain at us about our top 25 poll or the Facebook that you use to do all the things that we don't want to talk about. Um, you can share us and talk about that. You can also rate us and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter. Greg is at Wally Wabash. Uh, we have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. 
Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We're using a bunch more of his tracks as well. You can find those at DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks again to Jim Catanzaro. Thanks to Greg Thomas, my co-host. And thanks to the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan. I got this show like basically almost exactly 60 minutes, two weeks in a row. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that tonight. It's 60. There'll be a time to, uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.